Yeah, I was thinking about that. Better not mess it up. I have this memory of when uh, Ian was just coming out of diapers and we bought one of those little, I call them egg cars, you know, they're about that high and a kid can get in them and scoot around. They have four wheels on them. They go all over the place, run into stuff. It came in a box and uh, Devin at that point was a very young teenager and he and a friend volunteered or took it upon themselves to build the car for me. And I was nervous. I was at work. And I was thinking the entire time, you better not mess up. And they got, they got everything right except one thing. One minor thing had to do with one of the wheels. It never was right the entire life of the car. But it worked fine, and it was a memory. And that thing's been on my mind all morning long. Because Pastor Devin has done five, actually he's done four parts to this, and I have number five, the last piece. And I just, I'm, I've got to get all the parts right. Otherwise, I'll never hear the end of it. Just like I brought this up, man, that was a long time ago. That was at least 16 years ago. <laughs> and I'm bringing it up. Okay, hallelujah. We are talking about tents and temples. I remember when I first... Uh, heard from Pastor Devin that this was a series he was going to do. I thought, tents and temples. Now, I can talk about tents, temples, tabernacles, all that stuff, but uh, how are we going to bring that out to the people? And I've watched with joy as he's brought it forth, and uh, I'm not going to review them. I would encourage you strongly. We have every single message on the Internet. It's free of charge. Download that thing or just watch it. But there's enough meat in these messages. We're not really into candy coating. So um, it's stuff we expect you to do what the men of Berea did. Take those scriptures, take the parts of the messages and dig for yourself. Go deeper. Make sure these things we preach are true. We have nothing to fear. We have no doubts that from time to time we might miss it. Who knows? But we have no fear of encouraging you to get into God's word yourself. You guys know there's the, there's the fast food meal you gulp down. It's not terribly good for you. Then those meals that you chew and you take your time. And whenever you go into the word of God, you need to go deep, not shallow. That's when you get nutrition from God's word. That's when it begins to change the way you live and think and deal with crises and even deal with successes. It changes you. So I'm going to start with part five of Tents and Temples. I'm going to call this carrying his presence. This whole thing is talking about the presence of God and where it is. In the old covenant, God established a place where he knew his people could always find him. Because as people, we needed something to lean on, something to stand on. This is where we can find God. But God always had something greater than that in store, always. Everything from the fall in Genesis to the Gospels points to one thing. When God would be able to encase his very presence in us individually and together. And that's the miracle we're talking about. So I'm going to talk about that, carrying his presence. First, the miracle began when Jesus, 
His other name given in the book of Isaiah is Emmanuel. It means God with us, God within us, or God present. And everything in the Old Testament, if you, I encourage it when you can, is to do a study um, of the temple, do a study of the most holy place. It is complex, but it's worth the study because it will yield so much gold for you because those all possess clues about how God deals with us today through Jesus Christ. But Jesus, his, one of his names was Emmanuel, God with us, and it, it meant a great deal. So when Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came to earth, he came as God encased in flesh. All this has a point. It was God encased in flesh. And he did good works. He did miracles. He lived a holy life. There's, you know, it would take a long time just to cover the details there. But he was limited. His job at that point was to come, lay down his life, rise again, and then leave this place to overcome the one limitation he had. And that limitation was all of the presence of God. Scripture said that the fullness of the Godhead bodily was in Jesus Christ. The problem was that was in one body moving on two feet. He could only be in one place at one time. When Jesus tied his divine hands behind his back and became a man like us, he was fully God at the same time, but it's like he tied his divinity behind his back. Everything he accomplished, he accomplished using the same tools you and I have. Prayer, God's word, faith, declaring God's word, meditating on God's word, and obeying God's commands. Unlike us, he did it perfectly. But he still did it not cheating he did not cheat. Whenever he saw things, he began to operate. I don't know if you realize, but he even was separated from the flowing of the Holy Spirit in a high, powerful way until he came at the age of 30 and submitted himself to baptism with, the, with John the Baptist. At that point, the Holy Spirit the third part of God came upon him and from that moment on we began to see signs, wonders, and miracles. Same things happens to us. But again, all of that was limited to one person. And then Jesus began to disperse that anointing to him in a limited way to his disciples, then to the 70, and then to a few others. But once he died rose again and then returned to his father. He said, someone's going to come to take his place. That was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job was to, to duplicate everything God did through his son in many people, many bodies on many feet. And there's only one way to do that. Leave the limitation of operating in a body. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit came and came into many bodies, many small Jesuses, so to speak, who would go in the power of the Holy Spirit and spread not only the words about God, but deeds based on the power of God. So let's get into this. This is the whole point is I want to show you how God's plan for us in this series in Tents and Temples 
is the ultimate goal is that we carry the presence of God. If you get this, you will begin to understand that the emphasis of God is not on what happens in our church gatherings. That's very important. We equip, we worship him, we honor him. But the reason we're still planted on earth, because he could have all that. He could have our worship. He could have our, our close presence around his throne but he still has us planted on this earth because what's most important, what is our duty as a church is to carry his presence where it is not known. To carry his presence to other people who don't know him. To take his kingdom, which is partly encased in each of us, to take that power and radiate. It's about like taking a flashlight into a dark place. Back in the days where they used to let you into the cave up at Devil's Den, did any of you ever go in there? You know, they banned it now because of the white-nosed, whatever, the powder that affects the bats. But there was a day you could go deep enough into Devil's Den cave that it would be absolutely, totally dark. There was no light leakage whatsoever. At that point, if you light a small match in there, it seems like you just lit a torch. Because the darkness is so dark, there's a complete absence of light. That is a picture of what it's like when even one Christian steps foot in a place where the gospel has never been preached. It's like a torch has been lit in the spirit realm. We need to change the way we think. The entire emphasis of God through his process is to get to the point where we carry his presence. All right. Jesus' job was to be and to represent the fullness of the Godhead bodily on the earth, and he did that. Once his mission's accomplished, it was the time for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job was to reveal God and the kingdom through ordinary people, the earthly body of Christ. This, <clears throat> I love to connect dots in the scriptures. This is a recreation of the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, the first created one was made of the earth, ordinary, ordinary soil. But nothing happened until God breathed on him. There's a reason that when the Holy Spirit came at his first advent to stay and to live in us, he came in the form of a wind. The Hebrew name for the Holy Spirit is Ruach HaKadosh. It means breath, the holy. So the Holy Spirit is literally in the Hebrew, which is a pictorial language, it's a picture of the breath of God. And so, in fact, the picture in the Old Testament is, is God isn't up there somewhere. God is here at all times. <clears throat> and in some situations, in the Old Testament, for instance, where the Ark of the Covenant was, he was very present in his Shekinah glory. The uh, rabbis of old said that and uh, we gather that they uh, got this testimony from some of the high priests during their cycles when they served and they went in one time a year to minister. And what they witnessed was a bright blue flame over the Ark of the Covenant and what's called the mercy seat between the two cherubim. These were angelic. They represented cherubim. There are only three cherubim in Scripture that we're told of. One is the fallen angel we now call, we call Satan. But the other two were Michael and Gabriel. 
but this represents the, uh, the highest angels there, and they cover the presence of God. And right in the middle is where this bright blue flame, the Shekinah glory of the presence of God was, this bright blue flame. To help you understand what the Holy Spirit is doing, we're going to get into Scripture in a minute, understand that as you walk about, in essence, there is a bright blue flame inside of you. The living, powerful, breathing presence of God has chosen to take up a seat in the mercy seat right inside you. Because of the work of Jesus, now the Holy Spirit comes like a bright blue flame inside you. We don't understand. The reason it's so important what happens outside of these walls is we gather, we worship, the blue flame, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit rises up in us even stronger. When we walk out of here, we walk into darkness. We walk into sunlight. We think, what is he talking about? In the spirit realm, it's dark out there. And when you walk out with all of your flaws, with all of your weaknesses, with all of your failures and the stuff you dealt with, you walk out washed in the blood of the Lamb. You walk out as a living, breathing tabernacle or tent and inside your, your tabernacle, inside you, you are a temple of God, is the Holy Spirit of God, that blue flame, and you take light with you. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to experience this, but when you're walking with God and you step into a room that's filled with strife, have you ever noticed the atmosphere changes when you walk in? Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the worse, because some people react to God's presence positively, and they come to you and pour out their heart, or they, they just feel better when you're around. And some people, because of choices they've made, they react negatively to you, and it may get nasty when you walk into a room. But whatever happens, if you're walking with God, few things remain the same when you step into a situation. That's because you and I, individually and together, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to get into scriptures and show that. I'm skipping all over the place, so that's okay. I want you to turn to 2 Peter 1.13. We'll put it on the screen. I'm going to read from King James first. Peter was talking in his epistle about his own body. It's important to see how the apostles talked about things. How did he view his body? <clears throat> well, when he's writing, he used specific language. He said, yes, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. The Amplified Bible says, as long as I'm in this earthly tent. The New American Standard says, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling. I bring this up because the title of this series is Tents and Tabernacles. We told you that tabernacle is an old English word for tent or covering. I'm trying to make a point. Stephen, just before he died, preached one of the greatest sermons in the New Testament. And uh, in the midst of his sermon in Acts 7.48, he said this. This is New King James. He says, however, the Most High does not dwell 
in temples made with hands. And then he went on, that the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. No longer would he live in a building. So you guys, if you're worshiping church, buildings don't. We hallow them to the Lord. We've dedicated this property and people before us dedicated this property to the Lord. That is good. But that alone does not make this building something to worship. The church is comprised of the people of God. When we walk out of this building, the church walks out of the building. You are the church together. And that's where God's prize is. And that's where God dwells. I'm making a point for a reason. Paul in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. I'm going to read this out of the New King James. Yeah, I'm going to just modify it slightly to apply it to us. We are, verse 21, being fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the corporate way it works. In whom we also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That shows how God dwells in us together corporately as a temple. It gets even richer than that. Now again, I wanted to make a point that when Jesus walked on the earth, he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily, according to scriptures, but he was limited to one body walking on two feet. A miracle occurs because in the final stage, the Holy Spirit has done a switch. And I, as long as we get that, we're going to be good. The body that walks about on many feet, the body of Christ, which is made up of all of us and all of the believers who have received Jesus Christ in the River Valley, throughout the state, this nation, around the world, we are the body of Christ. We're the body that walks on many feet, so to speak. Paul describes in 1 Corinthians, and he describes how the Holy Spirit inside of us anoints us to work together and validate God's kingdom in much the same way Jesus did. The, the difference is, and we're about ready to read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7. This is the classic introduction of Paul. Paul now has had the advantage of, uh, I didn't actually go back to do the research to see how many years they think had passed since Jesus' resurrection. I think it was at least two decades. I could be wrong. But he's had a chance over the years to watch and observe this new thing, to watch how the Holy Spirit was showing up, how he was working in the churches in all the different cities. He was able to see how the Holy Spirit worked among the Gentile churches, how it worked in the church at Jerusalem, and he noticed that it was the same in every place. And so he sat down in 1 Corinthians 12 to give instruction. This is what the Holy Spirit has done, and this is what he brings us as gifts. So this is our introduction. For many of you, this may be a shock. But let's just, I want to read this, and then I want to tell you about one of my professors. When I went to Oral Roberts University, uh, all of my professors were, were mixed. I had Southern Baptist professors, I had Methodist professors, and I had mostly, I had Episcopal professors. Does that surprise you? Those of you who know RU, you're not. You're not surprised at all. But they were all from different church traditions, some of them very old church traditions, and they had all come there at a price. 
when they encountered the power of the Holy Spirit and began to accept that those gifts were gifts to God, as long as the church was in need of instruction, as long as the church was in need of perfection, it needed the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there's, there's, there's at least three different lists of the gifts. So Paul sat down to do this. But anyway, these guys were my instructors. And I'll tell you about uh, one in particular as we go. Uh, one was Dr. Howard Irvin. He was a world-renowned theologian, a Baptist. He uh, had uh, one of his three PhDs from Princeton. That one was in theology. The guy was highly respected as a scholar. He went to be with the Lord in 2009. But I had the privilege of flying with him. At the time, I had a band uh, with my sister and a bunch of other people. It was a small band. So we got in a private plane and flew with Dr. Irvin at the invitation of a large United Methodist church in the state of Kansas in a county seat. And they were going to have a meeting to formally investigate the Holy Spirit. They just wanted to know. It was kind of at the heart of the charismatic movement, and they wanted to know. Dr. Irvin was respected by uh, all the major church traditions, and he was asked often to speak about the Holy Spirit. He kind of spoke like an Englishman, <clears throat> and uh, you remember him, don't you, Barb? Barb, by the way, went to Oral Roberts with me, and uh, you were queen of the campus, weren't you? No, you probably were. I have great respect for Barbara. She and her husband have served the Lord faithfully. He's gone to be with the Lord, and she continues, and that ministry is thriving. But uh, Dr. Irvin spoke to at least 2,000 people. They came, I watched him stream in from all over the state to this county seat, and they crammed into this church. <clears throat> I don't know if you ever dealt with Kansas farmers. They don't go with a lot of foolishness. They're not terribly emotional, and they don't like emotional displays. They just, just give me the facts and let me decide. That's what they wanted, and that's what Dr. Irvin gave them. And he gave an amazing instruction on it. I, I grew up in old Pentecost and then uh, rebelled against that and almost wanted to just uh, join the Catholic Church to get as far away from emotionalism as I could, maybe even further away. Ended up going to an Episcopal church. Uh, when I was at Oral Roberts University. Just to give you my background, okay? I was saved in a Southern Baptist church. So I've got it all mixed together. Um, Dr. Irvin said that one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit is to bring unity to the body of Christ. To bring unity. And many people would say, well, when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit, you just divide the church. We just all fight. Well, we fight because we don't accept the Scriptures for what they say. The gifts are the gifts. They're given to the church for the church to prosper. They're giving to you to help and bless other people. What he did not give us is all the foolishness we've added to it, all of the poor scholarship, all of the, the uh, excesses. So what we're trying to do is tell you we believe in the gifts and we're going to go into them. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7. And I'm going to read this. I forgot even what uh, version we're reading. I think it's NIV. You can get that up, and I'll start as soon as you do. It'll be up there in a minute. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7. I'm going to start now. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I did not want you to be uninformed. You see, Apostle Paul, 
If he were with us today, he'd still say, I do not want you to be uninformed. This is something he wants us to study. Be well informed on, okay? Number two, you know that when you are pagans, somehow or other, you are influenced and led astray to mute idols. He wrote this to non-Jewish people. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, we're about to get into it. Listen carefully. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And at this point, mine ends, and I want to keep on going because we need to skip on down, which I didn't warn you about. I'm going to do that here. Somehow I messed up in my listing, so I'm going to get down to the rest of it. I actually needed to go down to uh, verse 11. So if you can't do that, I'm just going to read this to you. If you have your Bibles or your, your uh, biblical, your electronic digital versions, you can do it. I'm going to start with verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation, that means the revealing, the outworking of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. The word of wisdom is, is a spiritual word that comes from God, not from the human intellect, that explains something. This is why this is happening. This is the purpose behind a thing. The word of knowledge is knowledge about a situation in your life, in another life, or something, something else, something that may be about to come about, but that cannot be known by human knowledge and has not been shared. There are people who cheat. There uh, have been evangelists who have been caught going into pastor's offices, rummaging through the offices and finding notes. You know, there's charlatans in the world. And they'll get a list of the elders' names, and miraculously, all the elders will be called by name with a special blessing promised to them. And everybody thinks they've heard from God. That's not what I'm talking about. That's human junk. When God speaks through a word of knowledge, it's somebody, ordinary bodies like you and me, understanding something supernaturally by the Spirit and saying, the Holy Spirit, I feel like God's spoken to me that you're dealing with a problem in your life. Is your, is your sister having problems? There, there'll be a, something come up that they don't know about, they haven't been told about, and they cannot guess. And the one person that knows that is the person listening, the person receiving that word of knowledge. All right. Verse 9, to another faith. There is a supernatural gift of faith that comes by the Holy Spirit, that cannot be worked up. It doesn't come from reading God's word, although that's vital. That builds our normal faith, our normal measure of faith. But the gift of faith is something supernatural, something almost outrageous, where you have faith beyond your ability. It rises up without being invited. It rises up unexpected. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself doing something in faith that you would never in your thinking moment do. And if God doesn't show up, you're toast. That's the gift of faith. It's truly supernatural. All these gifts cannot be 
They should not be faked. I have seen all of them faked before. You can usually tell. But when it's real, it's real. And the person doing it is not trying to get glory. Anytime ego, selfishness, or me, me, me shows up, God is not at the heart of it. He may have started it, but they have taken it a place it should never be. Okay? And to another, gifts. Notice that's plural. Gifts of healing by the one spirit. Verse 10. And to another, the effecting of miracles. Healings are things that tend to happen over time and they are for a specific malady in the body. A miracle is not limited to the physical realm. And a miracle happens instantaneously as a sign and a wonder. And so when someone has that and it, it flows through them at a moment, then miracles tend to happen. And they happen in all types and places. And usually you'll see the gift of miracles happen in situations that demand a miracle. If all you do is show up at the donut shop day after day and eat donuts, then there won't be probably a gift of miracles showing up in your life. However, if you put yourself at risk, like on the mission field or uh, in other situations where you're declaring the gospel, where you might receive persecution or difficulty, I would not be surprised at all if a gift of miracles shows up in your life. It can happen with anybody. This isn't just the great names, people. This isn't just for people who wear the collar backwards. This is not just for the apostles. If it was just for the apostles, why in the world was Paul writing this letter to non-Jewish people in the city of Corinth, which is one of the worst cities in the, the Far East? He was writing this to ordinary believers. Okay. And to another prophecy... That's more than inspired speaking, y'all. Prophecy is speaking the mysteries of God. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. This is not the gift of discernment. There is no such thing as a gift of discernment. This is very specific. The gift of discerning of spirits or distinguishing of spirits is, is the ability to tell the difference between an unclean and a clean thing by the Spirit of God. And usually this gift goes beyond that. It's the ability to identify the characteristics, perhaps even the name of an evil spirit that's at work. If you ever notice, there's times when Jesus healed people. There's another time that he would cast demons out of people and then they would be healed because some things are diseases that affect the physical body and the gift of healing is needed. Other things... There is uh, evil at work, and it's important in those moments that someone be able to decide and see clearly the difference between the two. The worst thing that can happen is somebody in their ignorance go trying to be weird. You guys know what I'm talking about. Looking for a, a demon or a devil or something under every rock. Not. As believers, we walk in the light. There is no darkness. It's time for us to live like it. Now, to another, the interpretation of tongues. This is talking about corporate. These are gifts given for corporate purposes. This isn't a time or place to talk to you about the, the individual gift of tongues that's discussed elsewhere. 
11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. The Holy Spirit, see, Jesus represented the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We're also told that he received the Spirit without measure. For us, we receive a measure of the Spirit. We receive a measure of of faith. To each one of us is given the measure of faith. The Holy Spirit, to duplicate the work of Jesus, but using many bodies, using the whole church, he takes parts of the power and grace that Jesus lived in and distributes it to each one. Evidently, I believe that every believer has received at least one and probably several of those gifts at some point in their life, and they're distributed by the Holy Spirit as he sees fit. And for us to really be effective, we have to do it together. If you, if you take all of the parts of something and distribute them around, before you can have the full effect, you need to reassemble all those together. That's why corporately we have to be together and in unity to begin to see the fullness of God show up in our midst. That's why it, God knows us. If one person had it all, we'd have a dictator on our hands who would be going south. That's why elsewhere in the scripture that says that no, no uh, revelation, no one has all revelation. It's purposely divided up to keep our pride under control and to make sure that we know we need each other. That's where the Holy Spirit begins to show his gift for bringing us together in unity. When things are done God's way, the church is an amazing miracle in progress. If you've ever been in a church that flows in the gifts but has it's done decently and in order and it's done thoughtfully and humbly and you see the gifts operating, see our desire is that the gifts rise up. We just don't want the garbage. Now sometimes, I mean our God is not a tame God. He does what he wants, when he wants, the way he wants, and he doesn't ask our permission or our advice. You have to start with that basis. But assuming that, we don't have to add to the confusion, which we usually do. I mean, we we get all up in that. We think we're that in a bag of chips. I don't know where that phrase came from, but I use it. Uh, We begin to kind of get lifted up if, if we start being used in gifts, and that has to, maturity helps us step back down where we need to be and to serve each other. That's why Jesus, he knew where the disciples were going. He knew the power they began to walk in. He knew what was coming. That's why he taught them one of his sternest moments was teaching them the law of servanthood. He who would be greatest among you, let him be the servant of all. And then he demonstrated it in front of them. The greater the flow of God in your life, the greater will be your lessons to be servants, to be gentle and to be humble. I'm afraid if there's great giftings and deposits in your life, you're in for a long, long journey in humility if you let God have his way. Now, if you run ahead, you'll probably cause some problems and you'll flame out early. But when you do it God's way, it's amazing. You will have gone through a long preparation, but the fruit in your life will be tremendous. Okay. 
I want to now move on. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. This is Paul. Now, the context here is talking about proper relationships in marriage, uh, proper sexual contact, conduct, but he makes a point that goes far beyond this context. I'm going to read it for what it is. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. This is the NIV. Do you not know that your bodies, your bodies, not your spirits, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? You individually. I was talking to you about that blue flame inside you. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. <clears throat> Let me make a point. I got this from Dallas Willard. He's a great uh, teacher. He's gone to be with the Lord, but he's a great scholar, theologian. But um, Pastor Devin loves him, kind of introduced me to him, and so I was reading one of his books but he made the point. We, we have this bad habit of seeing God as up there somewhere. Someday I'm going to go away to heaven up there somewhere. There is a high heaven, but the, if, you, if you go to the end of the book, the plan is to bring heaven to earth. There's a lot of stuff that happens. We all have arguments about how and when. We don't argue about the fact that it's going to happen. It will happen. But the ultimate goal is to bring heaven to earth. The Lord's prayer is, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> but even in the Lord's prayer, when it said, our Father who art in heaven, it's not talking about way out there. The heavenlies is used throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The Jewish understanding of the heavens was the air. And the first heaven is our atmosphere, the air. You need to understand that the Holy Spirit doesn't hover up there somewhere. Jesus chose to quote a prophet. Was it Jesus or Paul? I might have to help me, guys. I'm, I'm pulling now freestyles. I'm walking on my feet. But he said, in him we live and move and have our being. That is a very accurate picture of God and one of the best ways for us to understand it is, imagine a fish swimming in water. The fish is in the water. The fish breathes in the water. The fish is composed of water. The fish belongs in water. You and I are the fish, and the water is the Holy Spirit of God. In him we live and move and have our being in the Holy Spirit. It is around us at all times. And yet it is in us. You guys, one of the best pictures of it came from a guy that doesn't even know Jesus. Star Wars. You know, I mean, it is the force, except he, he goes into Buddhism and talks about it being two equal forces, which not a chance. But he got it right in one area. We do live in the force of God Almighty. He is light. And if we can understand that we are carriers of his concentrated presence, he is around us, he moves here, he's in every part. He holds together, according to scripture, all matter. I believe that it reveals one of the roots of, of uh, physics. One of the theories of matter is that all matter is light moving at different speeds. Well, we're told that God is light, in him there is no darkness. 
He spoke and the, the, the stars were created. He spoke and matter was created. It fits within him we live, we move, and have our being. But when he is in our hearts, we carry his presence into the spiritual darkness around us. We need to understand that's something to cultivate. It took all of God to pull this off. It took God the Father, for God so loved the world. It took God the Son to pursue his, his desire. And now it took God the Holy Spirit. It took all of him to pull this off. Now it's time for that portion of God that is unlimited to operate in many people all at once, the Holy Spirit, to finish this thing in us. So we are literally finishing the walk and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's why he puts part of himself in the Holy Spirit inside of us. Again, visualize that blue flame inside of you. And at any given moment, you can release that light and that power in any way it's necessary. We live under the level God's called us to. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not called. You're as called as I ever was. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your education or lack thereof is. Some of the most anointed people I've ever met never went beyond the ninth grade. I'm telling you. And ironically, I began traveling with that person. Ninth grade education. I started traveling. I had two college degrees in my pocket. And I traveled with a guy that, that graduated from the ninth grade proudly and still couldn't read. He only started reading when he got saved and started struggling through the King James Bible. And that's how he learned how to read. And I sat under him and he taught me what faith meant. So I don't buy that thing about education. I encourage you to get as much education as you can, but above all, be educated in the things of God. Above all. Let him take you to your heights. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to finish up with Luke 17. Luke 17, 21. I'm going to read this from the classic edition of the Amplified Bible. One of the points that Dallas Willard made defends the statement. Luke 17, 21b says this, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you, in your hearts and among you, surrounding you. Many of the modern translations yielding to Western influence on how we think and how we say things have changed it from the original. Even, even the NIV did it, New American Standard did it, and it said, you know, the, the kingdom of God is among you, depersonalizing it. But Dallas Willard said, no, no, no. The original scriptures and all of the Old Testament things pointing to this made it absolutely clear the original statement was right. The kingdom of God is within you. You are a tabernacle of the kingdom of God in his presence. Change the way you think. I encourage you, understand that you are the fish in water. God has concentrated part of his presence in you so that you can make a difference, so that you can represent God. Remember, you are probably the only Bible most of the people in your life will ever see. You're the one they'll read before they ever open a book, if they ever open a book. 
They could be completely illiterate. They could be blind. They could be deaf. But in you, in your life, as you live, you are a living proof that God exists and that God loves them. So I encourage you, it's time to rise up and stand.